thank you all for coming here on this rather uh, lovely Saturday morning and uh, spending the morning with us in this slightly dark room. I did one of these sessions yesterday and after we had spoken, various people told us that they couldn't hear properly. So to try and avoid this rather unfortunate linearity, could I ask now whether uh, everyone here can hear me properly? Yes. yes, good, right, splendid. I'll keep checking. Okay, well, it's a great pleasure to be here and to say a few words, first of all, about the role of China in the way in which we in Oxford are dealing with the humanities, and also to say a few words about some particular aspects of research on China that's taking place here in the university. And um, one way, perhaps, of thinking about how far we've come, I think not just here in the university, but also in the West in general, is to remember uh, a comment allegedly made by Charles de Gaulle back in the 1960s. I have to say there are as many uh, apocryphal comments attributed to Charles de Gaulle as there are to Winston Churchill, so I can't vouch for its absolute uh, accuracy. But it's alleged that when he was asked in the 60s about what he thought about China, he replied, China is a very large country inhabited by many Chinese which, whatever else one says, cannot be faulted for accuracy. Um, for a very long time, in the West, we kind of knew about China, we could hardly not know about it. It was there, it was big, but it was a little bit mysterious. It was, relatively speaking, a closed country during the era of Chairman Mao. Not that long ago, just a, just a generation ago, it was very difficult for foreigners to get in. And although perhaps people knew that they ought to have known more about China, um, it, uh, there were good excuses, perhaps, for putting it to the side while concentrating on more visible parts of the world. I think it's fair to say that whatever you do, whoever you are, this is no longer the case and can't be the case. China is in all of our lives extensively, whether it's the goods that we buy in supermarkets or shops, whether it's the very large number of Chinese visitors and students that one sees in cities all around the world. Certainly, uh, uh, I would say in Oxford, if you're wandering around uh, and uh, wanted to acquire two languages to ease your way, aside from English, I would say that Polish would be one and Chinese would be the other. With those three, you're pretty much sorted for anywhere you go in the, uh, the city these days. And at the same time, in terms of culture, the films of Zhang Yimou, uh, rage, uh, uh, ranging from Raise the Red Lantern about 20 years ago, up to the more recent films such as um, Hero and um, uh, uh, House of Flying Daggers, as well, of course, as the spectacular Olympic opening ceremony, which many of us will have seen on television. And indeed, if you're one of my very lucky colleagues who managed to uh, use a little bit of back backdoor influence, actually see in person at the Bird's Nest Stadium. China is very much part of the central way that we operate in the world today. And that being the case, I think it's doubly gratifying, but also doubly important, that Oxford has taken such a significant leading role in the interpretation of China to the world through the fields of the humanities, and also in going to China and making sure that we as Oxford uh, teachers, Oxford students, people concerned with driving forward a research agenda, are in China working with Chinese colleagues and bringing forward joint pro projects uh, in, I hope, a way, uh, uh, a way that will um, uh, develop not only the understanding of China in the wider world, but also, in many cases, a wider understanding of China towards itself. 
China is, I think, a particularly appropriate country or society to think about the role of the humanities because from the very, very earliest days onward, and bearing in mind we're talking here about the world's longest continuing civilization, whose writing system essentially was codified a little bit more than, uh, let's say, 2,000 years ago and has remained very, very similar ever since. The idea of culture and humanity being combined together is a very Chinese one. Um, there's a term, wen, W-E-N, wen, which means, well, it's usually translated as culture or literature, but actually all of these things are slightly insufficient to explain what wen means in the Chinese tradition. And actually, one of the things it really means is the sense of being human through a shared culture. Writing, in particular, has always been absolutely central to the way in which the Chinese both display authority and think about themselves as culture. To be a cultured person, you are a wen ren, a person who has wen. And yes, it means culture in the sense of knowing books, knowing how to read, knowing how to operate in a social structure, but it does also have that wider Confucian sense, you might say, of understanding what it means to be human. And that brings us back again, I mean, again, the term humanities obviously has a rather renaissance feel to us in the, the West. We think perhaps of, uh, uh, of Erasmus um, and uh, the idea of humanism in the, in the early modern period. But I think it's important to understand that cultures very alien and very different from those in the West also have made that link between culture and humanity. So with that wider and rather uh, abstract set of thoughts, how does that help us in the here and now in Oxford in terms of the way in which we pursue that study of one of humanity through culture here in the university? And in a sense, I'm, I'm delighted to say that I haven't remotely got enough time. I think we've got about five minutes left. I haven't remotely got enough time to tell you about all the wonderful developments that have been taking place really within the last few years in Oxford in terms of the development of the study of China. And those who are interested, and I hope that some of you will be, I would encourage you to check the, men, the many websites relating to China which the university has put up and find out a bit more about the people and the projects that we are carrying on. But let me just mention one or two highlights, items, people uh, and ideas. I am very proud of the fact that this university remains one of really a very small number of places either in the UK or in Europe to continue the study of classical Chinese. And in fact, for our undergraduates, we do tend to insist that they must study at least some elements of classical Chinese as part of their wider study. And while often they complain about this, because uh, as in the, the Western world, the study of the classics has rather uh, fallen into, uh, uh, into disrepute in, in some ways. Not here, I'm glad to say, but uh, elsewhere. We do make it very clear that the continuity of Chinese culture means that there is a very clear link between the ancient Chinese past and the contemporary Chinese present, and that to understand one is uh, informed greatly by the study of the other. But I wouldn't want to give the impression that the scholars that we have here simply spend all of their time poring over obscure philological documents. Of course, we don't stop people doing that if that's what they want to do, and they should be uh, encouraged in the right time and place. But we do also have a very outward-looking um, research agenda going on. Many of you who've read the papers will know, uh, perhaps, of a book published just this summer by our professor of uh, modern Chinese studies, Tim Brook. Uh, it's called Vermeer's Hat. Uh, I think the Sunday Telegraph chose it uh, as their book of the year, which, considering the year isn't over already, is uh, pretty good going. Uh, it's had rave reviews in the Sunday Times, Times, and so forth. This isn't, so, in other words, this isn't some pure, obscure, academic uh, piece of writing, but a piece of wonderful scholarship that has also spread 
to a wider readership, in which Tim, our colleague, argues that looking at this one of Vermeer's pictures, which has uh, a man wearing a hat in it, by looking at the significance of the hat, it has a little fur um, uh, uh, decoration, which of course would have come from Canada. There would have been um, other items there, silks, which would have come from China. He draws a wonderful global picture of the links between trade and culture in the early modern world by drawing on this one Vermeer picture and bringing China and the whole kind of network between Europe and Asia, which even now we don't fully, I think, appreciate how powerful it was, into his picture of the wider world. So that the work we're doing here in the humanities and in the study of China, while absolutely grounded and often necessarily quite technical academic work, absolutely has and continues to have a wider impact on a global understanding of um, who we are and how we got here. And speaking of those global understandings, I want to also just briefly to tell you a couple of words. Sally very kindly mentioned this research program that I'm uh, running for the next few years, which essentially consists of um, uh, a very exciting and bright group of international postdoctoral fellows and graduate students who are coming together to explore all sorts of different aspects of China's experience in World War II, and not only that, but how it then affected China coming through the communist period and into the present day. So it's an interdisciplinary effort between the very contemporary sort of political science and a very um, strongly historically grounded project in which we go to archives in China, we look for documents, and we really try and link the past and the present. Just to give you a couple of sentences to explain why I thought that this project was of great importance, and I was very gratified that the, uh, the Leverhulme Trust were kind enough to, to agree and, and, and fund it. If you think about the statistics, very few of them are known to the wider world, but they are absolutely devastating in terms of China's experience in World War II. We don't have absolute exact figures, but something like 50 to 20 million Chinese were killed during the war. Something like 80 to 100 million uh, Chinese became refugees during that period. China's then government essentially was knocked out of place by the Japanese invasion, forced to relocate to the western side of the, uh, of, of the country, and eventually so weakened that it gave way to the, uh, the communists. And yet this set of events set the stage for one of the most important social movements of the 20th century, the Chinese Communist Revolution. Mao himself once said to the Japanese Prime Minister, who had been uh, uh, a, a soldier, a Japanese soldier in China during the war, we're very grateful to you for invading China during the war. And Mr. Tanaka, the Prime Minister, said, what on earth are you talking about? And Mao replied, well, if you hadn't invaded China, the communists would never have come to power. So there are huge significances from this set of events, and yet, Perhaps this audience is, is better informed than many, but on the other hand, if I asked most people to name three famous battles in World War II in the West, you'd come up with them at moment's notice, Bulge, Alamein, even in the Pacific, which is not the same war, the, the, the war against Japan, Midway, Iwo Jima, and so forth. But the battles in China, the big names like Changsha, Taizhuang, uh, all of these immensely desperate attempts by the Chinese to hold the line, the only allied power remaining uh, against the Japanese invasion, in China during World War II, these are simply not known in the West, and for a long time they were not discussed in China either. I haven't got time now remotely to tell you why that should be, but the reasons are fascinating, and I hope that our project will do a great deal to explore um, how that situation came about and restore what I think are absolutely crucial events of world history, the last unknown theatre, you might say, of World War II to uh, an appropriate level of importance. So on that note, I would say, Please do uh, keep an eye 
on what is happening in the humanities in Oxford. The internet is a wonderful thing. But I'd also ask you if you do have any interest in China, and even if you think you don't, do keep an eye on what is happening in terms of the study of that particular country. Because of all the many things we do wonderfully here in Oxford, I do think we are immensely serious about engaging with China, this regional, possibly global superpower of the 21st century. Oxford is very well regarded in China. Our collaborations are bearing very significant fruit. And we would love to think that you, our alumni community, were part of that global engagement between Oxford's humanities and China and the wider world. Okay, I'll leave it there, Sally. Thank you.